You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Good morning, everybody. My name is Gail Parker, and I'm so happy to be with you this morning and be bringing God's word to you and to me. I am only the workshop in which God operates. I'm only the workshop in which God operates. Those actually are the great reformer Martin uh, Luther's words. He puts those words in Mary's mouth as he writes about the Magnificat, which is Mary's song, which I'm going to read in just a few minutes when I read the passage. I'm only the workshop in which God operates. We've been in a series of sermons that we've been calling the characters of Christmas. We've looked at the characters in the genealogy of Jesus. We've looked at the old priest Zechariah and his um, old wife, Elizabeth. We looked at Joseph, and this morning, we're going to be looking at Mary. It's interesting that when Luke, the gospel writer Luke especially, writes, he wants to communicate the importance of somebody. He does it by, by telling us their pedigree, what clan and what, uh, that they come from, what who their kin is. Mary's a nobody. We don't know anything about her family. Joseph is from the house of David, but she's not married to him yet, so she doesn't even have that connection. She is a poor peasant. She knows she's lonely. She knows that she is that. In fact, she says in her song, she describes herself as the one that the Lord has, the lowly one that the Lord has shown favor on. When you think of someone who is lowly, what do you think of? Somebody low in rank, maybe, or in status? Somebody who um, certainly doesn't have any air of superiority. They're not showy. It, it, it has also not just, uh, just the, the, um, the status in life, lowly peasant, but it also has with it kind of that sense of, of uh, the lowly heart the Bible talks about. It's, a good word for that would be humility, a humble heart. Uh, someone actually can be higher in status, maybe well-respected, uh, maybe have expertise in their, in their field, and yet also still be lowly of heart. The opposite of lowly would be arrogance or pride or uh, a sense of entitlement, maybe. I am better than you, that kind of thing. Lowly, lowliness or the lowly heart is the workshop in which God works. Mary is certainly lowly in every sense of that word, for sure. 
And I want to look at lowliness as I walk through the scripture that I'm about to read. I'm going to look at, at how lowliness enables her submission and ours as well. I want to look at the community of the lowly. And I want to look at how lowliness sets us free to be able to rejoice in whatever it is that God is doing. So listen or read along with me as I read from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? That the mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord God, we 
We ask, Lord, that you would um, protect us from being so familiar with these words that we don't hear them. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our wills that we might respond as Mary did. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mary had, had hoped one day to be a mother. All young Jewish women did. But when it was respectable. Not while she was a virgin. That was not the plan. But God radically, shockingly interrupted her plans. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, every year as I meditate on this scripture, I'm always amazed that her response is so quickly, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it, let it be to me according to your word. You know, the angel comes and, and he says to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And she doesn't seem surprised that God is speaking to her. She, she doesn't seem surprised that, that the angel was there. What she's surprised at is the words. What she's surprised at is what he says. She was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. She was not like Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, who was terrified when he saw the angel. She wasn't terrified by that. She seems to accept what she's seeing. It's what she's hearing that so takes her off balance, maybe. He calls her favored one. The, the Greek word that is behind that word is the, is the word for grace. That for some unfathomable reason to her, God is looking with this, on this lowly peasant girl with favor. She's, she, of all people, is standing in his grace. Later, after he explains how this is going to happen, what's going to happen, what this child is going to be, the son of God, Okay, I'm in. I'm only the workshop in which God operates. I'm amazed that someone so young, uh, we don't know how old she is, but probably an, a, an early teen, someone so young would respond with such mature faith. 
You know, most of us like to be in control, at least somewhat, of the direction our life is going. But she unreservedly embraces God's plan and purpose for her life. No matter what the cost to her, she will be pregnant, she'll be unmarried, she's going to have to explain this to everyone she loves. She will bring shame upon herself, shame upon her community, probably. It may be that way for the whole rest of her life. Her life is about to spin out of control. Her control, her, her parents' control, Joseph's control, but not out of God's control. And she knows that. If this is your plan, God, I'm in. I'm in. Submission doesn't come easily to most of us. Most of us have a plan. We, we know what we want to do and we work hard to make it happen. We have an image of what our life is going to look like when we're in our 20s and when we're on our 30s and our 40s and our 50s and maybe into our old age. We have an image of what this is going to be. These um, expectations really are deep, deep a part of us, very much a part of who we are. But maybe the best gift you can give this Christmas is to give up that image. Because the, that image is, is what causes a lot of our frustrations and the disappointments that we have in life. It's, it's why a lot of our relationships become rocky, because someone is always in the way of me getting my life right. When it's when it's that image that's in front of us, we are always striving to achieve it or we're in despair at losing it. If you're a Christian, it's not your life. Your life belongs to God. Mary says, here I am, your servant, your slave, really. Your life belongs to God, and he's not nearly done creating it. Not nearly. With Mary, what we see is everything is directed away from herself toward God, and we really hear it in the psalm, the song that she sings in the last 10 verses that I just read. God is actually the subject of every verb in, that, in those 10 verses, except for two. She is directed to him. She is directed to what God is doing and will do in her life and also in the world around her. God is the subject. She is fully submitted to him. It's interesting, though, that when the angel leaves, we're told that 
she goes with haste. She hurries to go see her relative Elizabeth. It's interesting she doesn't go to her parents or to Joseph, but she goes to Elizabeth, her relative, the one that the angel told her is six months pregnant as a clear sign to her that nothing is impossible with God. Joel Green notes that it would be highly unusual in those days for a young girl to go any place, really, without accompaniment, let alone to the nearly 60 miles she would have traveled from where she lived in Nazareth to the hill country outside of Judea, where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived. It makes me wonder, how did she get there? How did that happen? And maybe somebody did make sure she got there safely. We don't know. But the point is, she gets there. <laughs> she gets there. Now, why did she go? Did she go to be, maybe to be sure that the angel was really right and her elderly relative was really pregnant? Maybe she went because when you're pregnant, those hormones make you do crazy things. <laughs> Maybe she went because she, she knew she'd feel safe there. Maybe, Maybe all of the above and maybe some things I haven't thought of. But she goes. That's how... Christian community begins, actually, with, with people coming together to tell their different stories about, about their drama with God. Elizabeth, what a story she has. After years and years of waiting and praying and uh, to have a child and, and all to no avail, and, and she's old now, and everybody thinks she's too old including her husband, thinks she's too old to have a child. And when, when she gets pregnant, she says, the Lord has removed the disgrace from me. The, it was a disgrace to not have a child in those days, in that culture. But, but it was the Lord that removed it for her. They're quite a pair, <laughs> one who's, for whom God's grace moved perhaps so slowly that she just kind of settled in with the disappointment. And the other one for whom God's grace was moving probably way more quickly than she had <laughs> planned. Our faith has never been what we plan for. It's never been about, all about what we plan for or what we settle for, actually. It's always about God breaking into our lives and God's, uh, in God's timing, bringing salvation. Salvation sometimes from our plans. Sometimes salvation from our disappointments. 
But it's always about what God is doing. Always. Both of these women have the lowliness of heart to receive with joy this new thing that God was doing. To receive with joy the plans and purposes God had for them and through them for the world. And that's what Christian community is, is about. You know, we use that word community in our culture quite a bit. And we use it to mean a lot of different things. I, sometimes people will say, I love my community. And I, as I'm talking to them, I realize what they're talking about is they love the neighborhood they live in. They have nice neighbors, and, and it's a really great place to raise their kids. And there's, they do all kinds of cool things at Halloween and Christmas. And um, they're talking about where they live. <laughs> Um, or, or some people might use that to talk about the community they've, they've built at the CrossFit gym. Or the community that they're, they're with where they're with people that are alike and they, and they care about this cause or this social justice issue or something. And they, and they do this together and it's, and it's rich and meaningful for their life. And, and that's what they mean by community. Some people, they're just talking about their group of friends. It's a, it's a wonderful community. All of those are good. And all of those are places that when we, when we go and we're, we are part of those, we bring the light and the love and the life of, of Christ. But that's not necessarily Christian community. And, we, and, they're not a, and those are not a substitute for Christian community, where the focus is always on the Lord, who he is, who we are in him, what it means to belong to him, what he's doing in us, what he's doing through us in the world, what he's calling us to do, to do in the world. When um, Mary arrives, I imagined that she's been trying to think about how she's going to break the news to Elizabeth that she's pregnant and she maybe is a little nervous about it. And then she gets there, and before she can even say anything, Elizabeth already knew. And, and Elizabeth knew not only that she was pregnant, but Elizabeth knew who the child was. She says, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? She's prophetic. The child in her womb leapt when Mary arrived. And she makes sure Mary knows that. And she blesses her for, for uh, being willing to fulfill her, her role in God's plans and purposes. And she blesses her for her faith. Blessed is the one who believed that what God said would be fulfilled. It had been an incredible encouragement. It had just blessed her, blessed her, blessed her. Boy, that's, that's what we ought to be about when we gather. <clears throat> the Renaissance painters often painted um, biblical images, and, and they loved to paint this this story. When you 
see them, they're usually called the, the visitation. And sometimes they, sometimes they, let's take that down because I'm not ready to talk about that one yet. <laughs> I'm, Renaissance doesn't look like that. <laughs> they, the Renaissance painters would often um, make sure that the, um, you, you saw the age difference between the women, right? So Mary is, or Elizabeth is often old and frail and, um, uh, and Mary is vital and full of life. And, and, you, and you can see that in the way they paint the differences. Sometimes in Renaissance paintings, the, the two women will have their hands on each other's stomachs. And uh, one hand on the stomach, and often the other hand is, is raised um, in, in the air, kind of in a, like a, a wondrous or a mystified kind of a praise of what is happening here. Sometimes they're leaning over and they're whispering in each other's ears as though they're sharing a secret that nobody else in the whole wide world really could understand like they do. Now you can put that image up. That image is not Renaissance. That is a modern-day image, and it comes from... Um, this book that is a book of, of meditations on 40 different stories in the gospel. And this one comes from the story of Elizabeth meeting Mary. And I, hopefully you can see, you can see in Elizabeth's womb, you see the baby John kind of jumping around. And Jesus in Mary's womb is older. He looks he, he looks like he's carrying a staff, like he's the shepherd of the sheep there, right? And Mary is singing, and Elizabeth is so joyful. She just is full of joy. And in this book, it's, it's written, um, it's supposed to be a childlike perspective. And so when, the, when, it's, when they write the, the story in the words of what's happened, they write it as though a child is uh, sounding out the words, so now you can put those words up. This, it says, Zechariah was doing important priest stuff when an angel told him that even though his wife Elizabeth was old, she was going to have a baby. He was so blown away, he couldn't speak. Then an angel went and told this ordinary girl, Mary, that she was going to have a baby, and the dad was God. Elizabeth and Mary got together, and Elizabeth's baby jumped around the womb, and Mary sang, sort of a baby dance party. <laughs> sort of a baby dance party. <laughs> there is lots of rejoicing. And, and both of these women, um, Elizabeth having a higher standing in society than, than because she was married to a priest and she was a daughter of a priest, and Mary, who had no standing, both of them are lowly in heart. Both of them are, have received whatever God wanted for their lives. And that enables them to rejoice in whatever God is doing. They're not fighting it. Mary's song captures it so well. My soul magnifies the Lord. That word magnifies is magnificat in the Latin Vulgate, and that's why we call this, these, t these 10 verses the magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. God is the subject of 
everything she's saying here. From what God has done for her and for what God is doing in the world. She starts out by, the Lord has done great things for me. Everyone's going to call me blessed. Me. Me. She's amazed at what God has done. And then she moves from that into talking about what God is going to do in the world. And I just want to summarize, maybe in, um, in, my, in my thinking, kind of a summary of really what she's saying here. Really what she's saying in her song is, God is going to turn everything upside down. Everything we value, everything we think is important, everything that we work so hard to, to, to achieve, you just watch what God's going to do. God who is high becomes low. He sees human need and he initiates a revolution that reorders reality. The transcendent God intercedes on behalf of a lowly young woman and he calls her blessed. The Almighty gives mercy to those who fear him. He scatters the strong, the proud, the rich, um, the, uh, all the people that, that either think they don't have any need of, for God because they have everything they need, or maybe they spurn God. They think it's all ridiculous anyway. You, just you watch what God's going to do because those are not everything that we value is not what God values. What God wants is he's going to fill the hungry and the needy with good things. It's the lowly who are the workshop in which God operates. And just you watch and see, she's, she's singing. Friends, when you're so able, that you're, you're, you're so, uh, able to be humble and lowly, you're able to receive whatever God's going to do and rejoice in that because it's, God. In the study guide for this book, uh, which kind of guides meditations on each of these gospel passages that they've picked, this is what it says, and the words will be on the screen. There are two different words in Greek for blessed. The first one is eulogemony, and it's used when Elizabeth says that Mary is blessed among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This means people will talk about Mary and her baby, but not probably like she feared. Not in whispers of gossip, but with reverence and praise. Luke is telling us from the beginning that the story of Jesus is not going to follow the rules about who's important and who's not. The second word is makaria. Elizabeth uses that word when she says, blessed is she who believed. The word is the same word that is used when Jesus preaches, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. This blessing is not a promise that we will be rescued from hard times, saved from suffering, or have every bad thing turned to good. This blessing is the joy that fills us when we open ourselves to the reality of God's love, God's promises, and God's presence that's with us no matter what we face. The story of Jesus is not going to follow our expectations of what victory or salvation or good news might mean. Luke's gospel is not like the stories that we're used to. Luke is telling us to listen to the voices we're used to ignoring and to revere and praise voices we thought were all wrong. Luke is telling us to consider that the world's blessings may look like curses 
and kings may look like they need a diaper change. That's what Mary's song is saying. So for tyrants, despots, demagogues, evil doers, watch out. Watch out. Because he really is a king whose diapers were changed. And he really will come again. And when he comes, he will judge you. Thank God he will judge the evil. And it will be no more. Because when he comes again, after the judgment, he makes the world right. Right. Some find it easy to have faith, like Mary. Others find it much more difficult and have a lot of questions and doubts and wrestling. And if that's you, I just urge you to keep moving toward the Lord with those questions. that He's not afraid of them at all. And I also urge you to have courage. The courage... the courage to move beyond just what you can know in your intellect and open yourself to mystery and to wonder and to that which is awesome and can't be explained in every detail, but it's real. And to all of us, wherever we are in faith, ask God for a humble lowly heart because it, it's in the lowly heart that's the workshop in which God works may you and I say today to whatever whatever your plans God here I am if it's your plan I'm in Let's pray.